0: It's such a wonderful delight to be here and especially even to see all the, the little kids here too. Um, we drove down here on Monday and it was, what a nice thing. We opened up our little pantry and was stocked full of food and some of you did that. And even some of you lent us coats because in Taiwan it's subtropical and we don't have heavy coats out there so we felt, felt very welcomed. and. I want to thank you all for supporting the, us all these years. Um, you're one of the first churches that uh, supported us when we first started out as missionaries. Before we read the text this morning, uh, let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for loving us. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for coming to this earth to save us. Holy Spirit, thank you for giving us new hearts to accept and believe the good news about Jesus. Lord God, we pray you would work in our hearts as we look at your word. Um, Don't let us go away unchanged. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God's word to us today comes from Isaiah chapter 9, and we're going to read verses 1 through 7. This is God's word. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has come. the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now, we've all heard these verses if we've lived in a Christian country. And if you like music, you've heard these verses sung. One of my favorite parts of Handel's Messiah is uh, the song that comes from these verses. They speak about a change in people's lives from gloom and darkness to light. And if you look at verse 3 to 5, you think about an invading enemy. In America, we don't experience this. There are plenty of places, places in the world that do. As the army's coming, people think they're going to lose everything. They're going to lose their houses, their lands, their money, their freedom. They might be taken, captured, sold into slavery, they might even lose their very lives. And if you can imagine that kind of gloom looming over them as they hear the news of the invading army getting closer and closer. And then it talks about this big turn. Well, the invading army is the one that gets plundered. And you actually end up with more wealth and more... uh, prosperity than when the war started. It's kind of an impossible thing if you think about it. And there were certain times in Israel's history where there was that kind of change for the good and people were so happy and joyful and laughing with joy. So that's the kind of picture given today. It sounds like a wonderful turn of events but this passage is only good news for you if you realize this true state that you are in now, that you are in when you're born into this world. Otherwise, this is going to just sound fluffy stuff. Look back at verse. Uh, look back at verse one and two. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. When I was a child, I was afraid of the dark. And I see some kids here, maybe you're more sophisticated than me. Um, Are any of you afraid of the dark? (laughs) I liked night lights. I always tried to get my mother at least to leave the hall light on. And so you get some light kind of coming in under the door. I don't know if any of you you guys here have that experience. Not every child is afraid of the dark, but I think one of the reasons I was afraid of the dark is because I had a big imagination. What if there was something in the dark that I could not see that was going to get me? Sometimes I saw things on television and I would keep thinking about them. And my uncles and my cousins always told scary stories, and they thought they were funny. I didn't think they were funny. For me, I could imagine those things like they might be real. If you think about it, that kind of inward thinking is a miserable childhood. There's no freedom in that. There's no joy in that, right? To be always fearful, there was a way I was a ch- when I was a child when I finally dealt with that fear. I started to think of the dark like a blanket. You know, under a blanket it's dark too, but it's warm and cozy and you can relax. And you have to remember that God is good and God's the one who created the night. And he created night for our rest. And I kept praying to God and telling myself the truth that God created this world. God is good and God takes care of me. And it's kind of, I got over that fear that way. Whatever fears you have, I hope you put your trust in God. Trust him. Those fears were imagined. But there is a real problem with darkness. What's the problem with darkness? It doesn't have anything to do with imagined monsters. When it's really dark, you go outside You don't know where you're going. You can stumble and fall. In some parts of the country, you could accidentally step off a cliff. Walking in darkness can be dangerous. So what's the solution? We all get flashlights, right? But nobody uses flashlights. now. you use your cell phone lights. Did you notice that our scripture text today talked about darkness? But it's not physical darkness, it's spiritual darkness. So in verse 1 to 2, it starts off talking about there was gloom for people in distress, but there's no longer going to be gloom and distress. People were walking in darkness, and now they see a great light. You can read past these verses Very quickly. But look at that end of verse 2. Those living in the land of the shadow of death. Can you feel that? No, not in our modern culture where we even have medicines for everything. We don't see death. But no matter how young you are, you will grow and get old and die. We live in the land of the shadow of death. And if there were no, if we had no hope outside of this life, this short life, it would be gloom and distress. And I'm talking to you this way, but I know that in our modern culture, people do everything to ignore that, forget that, not think about it. And actually, we're, We're the poorer in spirit for it because we don't realize the reality of our situation in our lives. Verse 1 gives the state of the people. They're in distress. They only feel gloom. Do you know what the word gloom means? Anyone want to define it? In my church, I sometimes will ask people to speak up. Anyone have a definition for gloom? No young budding scholars? It's unhappiness. It's a feeling that nothing feels right. Nothing is working out. There's no hope. I know some, some young folks have that feeling, especially when they get to teenage years and just life doesn't seem to be lined up right. Right? The people in verse 1 are in distress, and their circumstances cast a pall of gloom around their hearts. Do any of you feel like that this morning? But verse 1 has some good news. It starts with this word, nevertheless. You should always pay attention to these little words. For, therefore, nevertheless. There was a person's life who was like this, but there's a change. And to understand better what kind of gloom and distress they're in, you've got to go back to chapter 8 and look, look at verses 19 to 22. Take a look. Where's the gloom and distress coming from? It's actually not actually talking about invading armies or plagues, COVID-19, economic depression. Isaiah is talking about people who do not seek God. They don't read the Bible. They try to find meaning and purpose and guidance from the culture around them. Is that describing any of you? YouTube is much more entertaining than opening this up, right? Even for pastors like me. <laughs> I have to open this up if I'm going to prepare a sermon. But you've got to look at your heart. Where is your heart drawn to each day of the week? Well, at the time in Israel, the cultures around Israel were very much like Taiwan, where I serve as a missionary. Verse 19 says, When men tell you to consult mediums and spiritists, to whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? In Taiwan, people actually do go to temples. They, in those temples, there are mediums and spiritists. I've had to deal with some directly. And people hope to get messages and hear fortunes from him. They, they hope to have something, some bit of information to guide their future life. Mm, where do you go to get that? People are not seeking to know their creator They want something more close to them, something they could see, something that has bells and whistles and smells and and burning incense and just this, like, magical quality to it. That's Taiwan, but actually, that sounds a lot like America these days. People in our culture do not want to get their direction in life from God's word. We got back from Taiwan, we were in Indiana, and we drove down here. On Wednesday, I visited a place I like to go, it's bookstore, Books A Million. And do you know what was prominently displayed there? Witchcraft, tarot cards, Ouija boards, mediums and spiritists. Actually, I was here maybe two years ago, and there's more of it than there was before. That I remember. And maybe five years ago when I was here, or ten years ago when I was here, there was even more than then. Our nation was built on the Bible and Christian culture, but people in our generation want to throw off the past. They don't want to be bogged down by any rules in traditional American culture. They're taught to think that the Bible's oppressive. So people will seek anything to be their guide except for God's word. So uh, I don't know if any of you are from that life background. I hope some of you are and that you came to faith. But most of you probably never read those books in Books a Million. But we do get influenced by culture. We all look to YouTube and movies, and there are plenty of sayings that come out of the actor's mouths that have false human wisdom that do affect us and guide our lives. And a lot of that stuff sounds great. Parents, you might not get so influenced, but your children are going up, growing up in this cultural environment. Are you discussing and evaluating and critiquing the things they watch and hear, the things that their friends say? Even Christians can begin to think that the stuff on YouTube is more interesting and pleasing than what you hear on Sunday. You know, our our sinful hearts pursue entertainment and pleasure and self-fulfillment. And that kind of life doesn't seem like gloom and distress that we read in our text today, does it? We feel... Hey, this is great. That's how we feel, but what's the reality? When I was a child before I became a Christian, I was brought up in a Christian home, but before I became a Christian, my parents brought me to church every Sunday. Do any of you kids get dragged to church or are you the ones first ones at the door? I thought church was so boring. I thought sermons were boring. Got to sit there 30, 40 minutes. If you go to some churches, it's an hour. (laughs) You know what I liked? That was like late 70s, early 80s. I liked Star Wars. And I would imagine all these scenarios and action adventures in my mind while that preacher was preaching. Any of you guys doing that now? (laughs) But when I was in sixth grade, the Holy Spirit changed my heart. I felt that I was a sinner that needed to repent of my sins. I felt the need for Jesus, and I felt a hunger and thirst for God's Word. And I didn't just start listening to sermons. I started reading the Bible by myself in junior high school. Can you imagine a kid doing that? That's what, that's nothing on me. That's what the Holy Spirit did in me. Think about your non Christian friends. They might have big plans, they might have a lot of money, they might be the ones riding, driving whatever it's called, those big, beautiful boats on the Tennessee River. But they're lost and blind. They will seek everything except their creator. And when they seek something and they get it, they play with it a bit and they, it just doesn't satisfy. So they go and seek something else. And when they have $30 million, they look at, Elon Musk, and they're like, what do I have? It's all relative. And if they are not wanting to look at the reality, they're going to pretend they're having a good, fun time. And you see it on all the TV shows and on all the movies. Jing, jing, Click your champagne glasses. Is that the life you pursued? That stuff in reality is all spiritual darkness because it's apart from God. Romans 1.21 and 25 says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator. In Taiwan, they worship and serve ancestors and historical figures like this, this teenage girl in Fujian province that they thought was, had special powers and she died young and they started worshiping her as the goddess of the sea. And this general from one of the historical periods, they worship him as some war god. Worship and serve creative things rather than the creator. And then they make these big statues of them, and they bow down to those statues. You don't do that, do you? No, we're more sophisticated here. We just worship ourselves. All we need, we don't even need a mirror. We just need our cell phone with the camera turned this way, right? People are in spiritual darkness, but they think they are in the light. They think they that to follow God is the path of what? Oppression and gloom and misery. They think being free from God is freedom. Children, young adults... You will be taught this in school. Don't be fooled by those who are spiritually blind. It might not be out in your face the way I just said it, but it's running around in the background of everything people are saying and doing and what they support and what they hold up as valuable and good and what they say is bad. It's all in the background. Remember in the Gospel of John, there was this blind man that Jesus healed in chapter 9? He was born blind, never saw once, and Jesus healed his blindness. And what did he do? He followed Jesus. And then the officials came in, the Pharisees came in and investigated the matter. And they even asked the parents of this man that was born blind. They wanted to make sure, was he really blind? This couldn't have been a miracle of Jesus. It's got to be some trick. And the parents said, we know he was blind. Don't ask us how he sees now. And then they brought in that formerly blind man and interrogated him. They could see that right in their face that Jesus was from God. But they refused to follow Jesus, no matter how much proof. They were spiritually blind. They were in darkness. And does that not describe our generation? So Jesus tells, in Matthew 15, tells the, talks about the Pharisees this way. Leave them. They are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, what will happen to them? Oh, is it up there? Oh, no. Both will fall into a pit. The first application to our text today is to call you to see the world as it truly is. Don't be deceived by the blind guides. The world is in spiritual darkness, and you cannot follow it to get what you long for in your deepest heart. The world only offers cheats, that are unsatisfying. It's a, it's a tiny moment of endorphin spike. That's it. You cannot seek meaning and joy and peace and hope from what this dark world offers, no matter what the society around you says. Leave them from your heart. Leave them. They're blind guides. If a blind man leads the blind man, both will fall into a pit. When you're in darkness, you need a light so you don't stumble and fall. You need a light so you can see where you're going. So some children, like when I was a kid, are afraid of the dark, even though there are no monsters under the bed. There are no monsters in the closet. There are no monsters lurking in the dark where you can't see them. But I want to tell you something. There are spiritual monsters. Truly. If you don't have the light of Jesus, you will fall prey, P-R-E-Y, to the spiritual forces of wickedness. You know the story of Cain and Abel. The first children of our first ancestors, Adam and Eve. Who was jealous of whom? Kids, I'm going to ask you. Was Abel jealous of Cain? Cain was jealous of Abel. You remember how it describes Cain? He was angry and his face was downcast. And then God warned Cain about a spiritual monster lurking in the darkness. Kids, what was that spiritual monster that God warned Cain about? Sin. Sin. Sin is crouching at your door. You hear that description? Crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. The monster desires to have you. It's crouching right outside in the dark. And that monster is sin. Some of you, most of you, your parents have warned you about sin, right? We don't think about sin like the way God described it to Cain. We think sin is a friend. We think sin gives us pleasure. We think sin brings a party to our lives. But the truth is the opposite. Sin is a monster in the dark, lurking, crouching, trying to devour us. There's another spiritual monster crouching in the darkness. The Apostle Peter says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Think about the devil He attacks you by accusing you. He attacks you by tempting you. He attacks you by lying to you and tricking you into believing lies. He desires to have you, to ruin you, to destroy you, to break any thought of seeking God, to break your relationship with other people. To ultimately cause you to hate yourself. Spiritual darkness hides spiritual monsters. Spiritual darkness hides pits and stumbling blocks in the path of our lives. So the point of our passage, another application, is flee the dark and seek Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world. That's the only question for you as you're growing up, kids. There are only two paths. Are you seeking Jesus or seeking the world? And one is dark and the other is light. So back in Isaiah 8, right before we, our text today, describes the ultimate end for those who turn away from God. In verse 21 and 22, it says, what's going to happen to those who say they don't need God? They claim to be wise. They claim to be able to make up their own morality and run their own life apart, apart from God. Listen to the spirit. Spiritual reality of those who try to be free of God and free of God's rules over their lives. Listen to what will happen to those who say they don't need Jesus. Verse 21: Distressed and hungry they will roam through the land. When they are famished, They will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. I don't think this verse is talking about physical hunger specifically. everything you seek in this world that promises to make you full and happy and satiated, it just leaves you famished. It's like you're eating ashes. And once you've done that your whole life, at the end of your life, if you don't turn to Christ, you will look up at God and curse him and you look around this world and see distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And then you will go to your eternal, shall we call it, reward? What a horrible end to mankind, to every human being on this earth, apart from Jesus. We may try to seek the fleeting pleasures of this life, we may try to do all only what we want to do. Isn't that what every kid starts out with from the minute they're born? Mom and dad said, don't touch that. What does the kid do? (laughs) We might try to do only what we want to do, but our life is short on this earth. And this life is the land of the shadow of death. Something is looming so big, and it casts a shadow over the entire life you're going to live here. We try to be emancipated from God, but the end comes swiftly to all. Death comes to all. Do you want to be free from the light of the world in this life? Do you want to be free from Jesus being your Lord? If you want to be free from Jesus interfering in your life, there's only one result. In the end, you will be cast out where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. You want to be free of the light? Fine. You will get utter darkness in the end. There's no middle ground That's the horrible truth for those like the Pharisees who deny deny their spiritual need. But we see in chapter 9 that there are people who feel the gloom. They feel the distress. They're looking for something. And I hope that's you here today if you're not yet a Christian. Are you looking? Do you know where your life is now is now? Not where you need it to be. There's something missing. You're in the right place here. You need Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 9, these people know their need for a Savior. They long for the light. They long for the Savior. So that's why the good news of verse 1, nevertheless... There's a way to have no more gloom and distress. There's a way to be healed from spiritual blindness and freed from wandering in darkness. There's a way to no longer be self-deceived in your life. There's a way to be free from the gloom of the land of the shadow of death. What's that way? Look at verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. That's what people around the world celebrate tomorrow. Christmas, a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The only reason he came was because God's love for sinners like you and me. Kids, you know John 3.16, what does it say? Quick, quick. No adults. John 3.16. For, speak up. God so loved the world. Is this generation different from my? <laughs> For God so loved the world that He gave what? Yes, His woo, that whoever believes in whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Isaiah. Chapter 9 prophesied something that would happen 700 years later than when Isaiah lived. It was during the time of the Roman Empire, 2,000 years from our own t- time, 2,000 years ago. To us, a child is born, was born. To us, a son was given. Jesus took human nature, though he was the eternal son of God. He was born into this world into a suffering life and a suffering physical body, but he lived a perfect life. He deserved not to die. He deserved to go to heaven. But he traded places for sinners like you and me, all who believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life like Jesus deserved because Jesus on the cross took the full force of hell and God's righteous judgment over your sins. He took your sins on himself, all those who believed in him. For to us, a child is born and a son is given. You can look back at Isaiah 8, 21, one more time. When Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice for sin, when he was dying on the cross, he was bearing the weight of that sin. He was experiencing the gloom and the distress and the hunger and the thirst and the wrath of God in hell itself for the sins of his people. He was the one being cast out Like in utter darkness, so that we could be included. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. What kind of child is he? It says, the government will be on his shoulders. The solution to our problems is not what Adam and Eve said. Oh, we can become like God. It's not that we can be free of God's rule. But that we have the one and only true, good, perfect leader. The one true Lord and Savior ruling us. That's the only place of freedom and joy. I like that phrase, the government will be on his shoulders. People in our generation think that God is some kind of a tyrant, oppressing and restricting our freedom. They even think that if we talk, say the word Jesus, it's a microaggression. They think that the name of Jesus is some kind of imposition on them. Can you feel that burden? Burden. But notice the poetic language. It's not the language of a tyrant. The government is on his shoulders. Jesus is taking up the burden that we can't take. We can't rule ourselves. The more we think we're emancipated from God, the more we just self-destruct. But Jesus took that burden on ourselves. He carries that weight that we cannot carry. and what kind of ruler is Jesus he will be called wonderful counselor <laughs> what's the key thing about a counselor you come in he listens to your problems and he gives you good advice what's the key people about most thing people around key thing about most people around you you start talking about your problems and they try to change the subject Jesus cares and knows about every last little detail. And he wants to hear about it, and he will guide you to the place you need to be. Mighty God, there's nothing he cannot do Everlasting Father. No matter how old you are, you can run up to Him. Like a f- little child can trust a good Father and Prince of Peace all that conflict in your heart all that conflict with other people around you all the misery you feel all the anxiety all all the times you feel these people don't like me these people are laughing at me all of that that Jesus takes and gives you peace and Verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. Listen to this, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The universities in America are filled with talk about justice. Do you want true justice? Seek the light of the world. There will be no more gloom for those who were in distress, for the light of the world has come. Dear friends, this morning, step off the throne you crafted for yourself in your little life and take Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much that you care about us and that you gave us a chance to look at your word today. We pray you would make it bear fruit in our lives, change the way we think, help us to see wisdom as we look at the world around us and hear the voices around us. Help us to know the only place of safety and joy and peace and eternal rest. Help us in our hearts and lives to truly bow to you, Lord Jesus. We pray, Lord Jesus. In your name, amen.